was great, huh? Good morning. Happy New Year. What a snowstorm. I love it. Would you turn with me in your Bibles to Matthew, if you would please, Matthew chapter 1. Matthew chapter 1. We, uh, I want to just kind of recap where we've been in the last several months. I, I, I want to say this too, you know, as we, as we gather as a church, as we uh, study the Word of God, as, as uh, we, we are changed and challenged by it and, and convicted, I, one of the things I want to make sure you're aware of and I'm aware of is that, that that's because God wants us to be there. And God, wherever God has taken us, that's, that's where we should have been. Uh, individually, I believe that very, very true. And as a church, I believe that's very, very true. Um, so just kind of rehashing where have we been, and if you wanted to go home, you can go online and see all the sermons we've done in the past two years or three years or, or, or probably longer than that. But um, it's really important, I think, to look back and say, wow, yeah, we, we went through this time in our church, or we went through this kind of thing as a family, and this God spoke to us in this way. I really do believe that God does that. And, and it's weird for me as a pastor, I, I try to figure out, God, what do you want me to teach? Where, where should we be going as a church? And, and it's really weird how he gives those to me sometimes. It's really weird. It just says he says do this, or and I'm like okay, I'll, I'll do that, and don't understand why, right? But as we go through it, and at the end, like oh wow, God, you really, you really did something amazing with that, and I just am so thankful that God is our shepherd. Our, he's our senior pastor, amen. That's he's the guy who leads the ship. So uh, as we go, I want to look look back a little bit before we go forward uh, in the next couple weeks. Uh, starting on January 20th, we're going to dive into the book of Ruth. So we're going to be studying another book of the Bible. Uh, it's going to be the book of Ruth. You can sh- certainly uh, study that on your own between now and then, and even during that time. Get a little familiar with that. I'd enc- I would encourage that. Um, where we've been, uh, we, I'm just go back to the Lord's Prayer. We, we, we've done the Lord's Prayer, and we went through, uh, I don't know how many weeks, 12 weeks, 8 weeks, 12 weeks, something like that, of the Lord's Prayer. And, and really, really dove into humbling ourselves and developing a humble posture before God, right? That He's, he's God, and he, He's God of the universe, and He's a Father, a compassionate, gracious Father, and that we ought to have a posture of humility in front of him. So when we pray, it's not because we are good. It's not because we've achieved something. It's not because we're, we're um, trying to look out for the next guy. It's, it's because I am nothing without him. And, and I, I fall face down on the ground or on, on my bed or wherever I am. And I, I just say, God, you're God. And I want you to be God. And, and I, I approach him as that. And I want your will to be done, right? I, I want to follow you. I want to obey you. And, and it's it's tough because we put ourselves in that humble position. It makes us be even more humble or become more humble because he sometimes humiliates us by our own pride, our own failures, our own inability to do things. And, and God wants us to be humble before him so he can do something in and then through us for his glory. So we, we'd spent a lot of time during the Lord's Prayer on, on that. Uh, then we went into the Christmas series, Zechariah's Song. And Zechariah's Song, I, it was really, I mean, it was fun for me. I hope it was fun for you diving into scripture, seeing this amazing uh, outburst of praise from a man who was muted for quite a while because of the promise that God had made hundreds of years before, right? Well, there's 400 years of silence, but hundreds of years before there was this promise that was made that there would be a Messiah. And, and even thousands of years before that, that promise had been made in Genesis 3. But we knew that this promise had been made that, that there would be a Messiah. And before the Messiah was to be born, that, that this, this man would be born, John, right? The baptizer, he'd be born... And he would be the one who was the forerunner to the Messiah. And Zechariah got good news, got good news that he, he would be the dad, he, a guy who probably couldn't have kids. And what we saw during the series was this outburst, this overflow of praise that really came from inside the heart based on all God has done and all God is going to do. 
You see, our praise has to, has to be surrounded by and start from God's promise, God's faithfulness. Our praise can't just come up because I'm feeling good today, because tomorrow when I don't feel good, what happens? I don't praise. But if God is always good and God is always up to something and God's promises are always true and he is always faithful, then I have something to always be praising him about. And we talked about as we develop that heart of praise and that attitude of praise, what we're really doing is making room for Jesus. Making room for Jesus. And then after Zechariah's song, I kind of tagged on a, a sermon for the, um, the pre-New Year last week. And it was, it was based on Zechariah's song just, just after it. It was verse 80 in Luke 1. And we talked about how, how John grew up. And, and we, we alluded to the fact that he grew up in, in the Lord. And, and then we, we talked about Jesus and how he grew up. And then Samuel and how he grew up. And we looked at people in the Bible who grew up because we don't have a lot of instruction. We do have some. We don't have a lot of instruction about what is it like to raise, raise a kid. Like what kids' years, what do they do to make it really, really profound? Just that they grew up in stature and wisdom and favor with God and people. That's what we had. And, and so we saw this growing, and I, and I encouraged, I, I was encouraged and encouraged you that we would grow up. As we, as we get to 2019, our desire would be to grow up in the Lord, to continue to grow, that we would be walking worthy in the Lord and be pleasing to him. That my desire, again, as I approach him from the Lord's prayer and humility, God, you're my father. I want your will to be done. That I would say that still, that I walk worthy and want to be pleasing to the Lord. It wouldn't be about my desires or my ambitions. It would all be about his ambitions and desires and we would be growing and being strengthened by his, his power. Not just becoming strong so we can be strong for ourselves, but be, being strengthened by his glorious power. And then, and then we, last week we, we celebrated the Lord's Supper through the communion. And we shared the elements and, and we talked about in the same time how, how important it is to be thankful. As we grow up, it, one, of the, one of the biggest aspects of growing up is, is I want to be thankful. I want to continue to be thankful in my heart, which means I continually humble myself. And look to Jesus and say, Jesus, you've done it all for me. You've been amazing for me. Thank you for what you've done. And what did we thank him for? Well, as we celebrate the blood and body given from Jesus Christ, we celebrate and we're thankful for the, the, the place he took for us on the cross. That he was willing to lay his life down where we really deserved to be. That he offered forgiveness through his shed blood and through his resurrection. We have hope in life forever with him. That's, that's this glorious, glorious thing that... that if we can focus on that and keep that in the middle of what we do, everything else will pour out of that. Right? Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added unto you as well. He would be the priority and that we would grow up in him. So today, as we move into Matthew 1, I want to look at some, some glimmers and glimpses of grace that we see here. And, and I want to give you a little background on why, why I'm going here. During our, our Zechariah's song sermon series, uh, we, he, during the song, he talked about how, how amazing it was that the one coming, the horn of salvation was coming, the one that was talked about from the line of David, right? The lineage of David. And we talk, I, during that sermon, I, I mentioned, this is not talking about, about Joseph, right? This is talking about the line of the blood through Mary. And I, and I just I remember saying that during a sermon. This is, this is Mary's child. He was born of Mary, and this bloodline goes back even through her. And then after that sermon was over, I, I went to my office, and I was thinking out during the week, I'm like, was it Mary? What did I say there? What was and I couldn't remember exactly what, what I had said and what, what had transpired as far as the lineage. So I went back and began to study the lineage. I thought this would be good, to, good for us to look at. And really what I found as I studied the lineage of Christ was pretty amazing. I'm going to show you a little illustration later on. We'll do a little object lesson together. I'm going I'm to ask for some volunteers, so get ready, okay? Get, just get over the fear. I'm going to have you come up. 
But, but we're going to look at this family tree. And, and in the middle of this family tree in the lineage, you know, Matthew chapter 1, starting at verse 1, is not really super fun to read. It's a bunch of names that says so-and-so fathered, so-and-so, so fathered, so-and-so, so fathered, so-and-so. And it goes on and on. It's like mo- most of the time, what do you do? Be honest, what do you do? You skip it. Like Matthew 1, we'll start at verse 17 today. Right? That's what we do. But I think there's something to be said for reading these names. They're in the Bible, right? It's the inspired word of God. Maybe we ought to honor them and read them. But as, as we do read that, it's, it's, more, it's more than just reading a name to, to say a name. You know, sometimes we go to the, the memorials and, and read names off of walls of soldiers who have fallen, and, and we see that this, this is a name, or maybe it's someone in your family. This is a name, or maybe it's a living sculpture, and it's your name on there, the living memorial. Very honoring, very, a, a great tribute. Some of these that are on this, this list aren't really worthy of tribute. Like, they're, it's scandalous that they even are brought up. It was scandalous what happened in their life, right? But what happens, what we see in this list, in this lineage, in the line of Christ, is we see God's redemption at work because we see God's grace at work every step of the way. And, and for me, it's one of those, let's close up the, the, the idea and talks for a minute about, uh, about lineage sermons and go, and then as we move into Ruth, we're going to be talking about the providence and redemption of God. And we're going to see what God was doing in the middle of this mess and see the glimpses of grace in the middle of the mess and we'll see God's providence and God's redemption <coughs> offered and happened time and time again, even in the worst of people, even through the worst of people. I said earlier in earlier service that, that Jesus came to us to be our Redeemer. And in the case of Matthew 1, the lineage line here, as we talk about all these people that were before Christ, not only did he come to them to be their Redeemer, he actually came through them. And for you and I, the, the, the connection we can make today is, is Jesus isn't going to be born of our line. That's already happened. But now we are descendants of Christ. We are heirs with Christ because of what he's done, and he's adopted us into his family. So not only has he come to us to redeem us and to make us part of his family, he now wants to live through us for his glory. Like we talk about baptism, that was not about Ashley or Telia. That was all about Jesus, about what God is doing through people who are faithful to him. So we're going to see these glimpses of grace today and see what we can learn about God's grace and let God's grace redeem us. All right? Let's pray and we'll get into our Matthew text. Father, thank you so much for your love for us. I thank you that you've given us grace through your son, Jesus Christ. That even in the middle of, of horrific times of, of disobedience, of sin, in the middle of, of conspiracy and debauchery, you sent Jesus, you came in the flesh to redeem us, to seek after us, to seek and save the lost. Father, we we love you because of that. We ask that you would open our hearts and minds now to be receptive to you and and believe and trust in you in faith. And that we would open our eyes and hearts, if we've already trusted you in faith, that we would see your redemption at hand in our lives through our circumstances, through hard scenarios and hard times and times of scars, we would see you show up, not only to redeem us, but to live through us. So God, as we look to your word today, I ask that you'd open our minds and our hearts to be receptive, that your Holy Spirit would challenge us and change us, that you would help us repent from our sin and ourselves and move obediently towards you, that we would find you as our treasure and we'd find life in Christ. We pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen. So we are in Matthew chapter 1, and we're going to read 1 through 16 together. 
Now, I've, I've said this many times before, and I'll, I'll just test you on it right now again. I've told you the secret to reading names in the Bible. Somebody remember? Use the other guy? Have the other guy do it? No. It's speed and confidence. Use speed and confidence. That's how you read names in the Bible. Speed and, if you're fast enough and confident enough, no one's going to question you. Okay? Because I know I'm going to chop some of these. I'm sure of it. Right? So we're going to read this account in Matthew. Uh, and Matthew is, is writing to the Jews that they would see and understand that Christ has this legal standing in the line of David. Okay, and here, here we go in verse 1. An account of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. Abraham fathered Isaac, Isaac fathered Jacob, Jacob fathered Judah and his brothers, Judah fathered Perez and Zerah by Tamar, Perez fathered Hezron, Hezron fathered Armin or Aram, Aram fathered Aminadad, Aminadad fathered Nashon, Nashon fathered Salmon, Salmon fathered Boaz by Rahab, Boaz fathered Obed by Ruth, Obed fathered Jesse, and Jesse fathered who? King David. Okay, so there we have King David elements here, from Abraham to David. David fathered Solomon by Uriah's wife. Solomon fathered Rehoboam, Rehoboam fathered Abijah, Abijah fathered Asa, Asa fathered Jehoshaphat, Jehoshaphat fathered uh, Jerome, Jerome fathered Uzziah, Uzziah fathered Jotham, Jotham fathered Ahaz, Ahaz fathered Hezekiah, Hezekiah fathered Manasseh, Manasseh fathered Amon, Amon fathered Josiah, and Josiah fathered Jeconiah and his brothers at the time of the exile to Babylon. After the exile to Babylon, Jeconiah fathered Shetel, Shetel fathered Zerubbabel, Zerubbabel fathered Abiad, Abiad fathered Eliakim, Eliakim, Eliakim fathered Azor, Azor fathered Zadok, Zadok fathered Achim, Achim fathered Eliad, Eliad fathered uh, Eleazar, Eleazar fathered Mathan, Mathan fathered Jacob, and Jacob fathered Joseph, the husband of who? Mary, who gave birth to Jesus, who is called the Christ. So we have this lineage of Jesus Christ all the way from Abraham, all the way through Joseph in, in, in Mary, and we have Jesus, the son of David. And it says the verse 1, the account of the genealogy, this is Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. So both in Matthew, as he writes to the Jews, he, he, he brings up the Davidic covenant, and he brings up the Abrahamic covenant and says, listen, it, this is who we're talking about. If you want to be a believer, if you really want to be a good Jew, you're going to understand that these two covenants point to Jesus Christ. That's, who Matthew, that's what Matthew's saying. He, and then Jesus has this legal right to the throne of, the, of his father David, that he is the one that was talked about. And we're going to look at that a little bit more. So as we, as we look at these glimpses of grace, one of the things we'll see is, is these people, this list of people. It's, it has some heroes in it, and it has some villains in it. It has people that are, that are pretty faithful, and it has people in it that are pretty awful. It, it's, it's one of those lists, those lists that's, that's riddled with, with conspiracy, right? It's riddled with sin. It's riddled with, with people just doing face palms all the time, not understanding why their relatives are behaving this way. This is what this list is made of. It's not just a list of the good. And oftentimes, in, in, in good Jewish history, you could skip generations. You, you could say someone was the father and so-and-so, and they were really the grandfather or great-grandfather. I mean, Jesus Christ, the, the son of David, the son of Abraham, I mean, they skipped some generations there, right? So they would skip some generations to pad their resume a little bit. But they still got the genealogy in there. They still got it right to say, this is who, who was there. But Matthew doesn't want to leave some of these people out. He says, we want to show you this list. and it, Good and bad and ugly and all, I'm going to show you this list. But ultimately what he's saying is Jesus is the son of David, the son of Abraham. He is of the line of David. And God's grace, 
beautiful snapshot of God's grace is that it can overcome so much. Yeah, the scars, the unfaithfulness, the faithfulness, right? The, the, the sin, the debauchery, the scandal. God's grace can even work through that. He came to redeem. And he, he redeemed us through this line, these people. So w- one of the first things I want us to mention today and look at, uh, number one is this. It, if we glimpse grace, we look at grace, we know this, that grace overcomes the curse. Amen? Grace overcomes the curse. And I want to read to you out of First Chronicles, and you can actually turn there with me in your Bible if you'd like. First uh, Chronicles chapter 17. This is, this is, and we've read this before, and, and it seems like it's been coming up quite a bit, especially we studied, we studied Galatians also in the last year or so, and, and looking at the law, and looking at the promise, and, and looking at this lineage, right, and, and this promise, this Abrahamic promise, and this Davidic promise. But in First Chronicles chapter 17, beginning in verse 11, is where we're going to read. And this is, this is after David. Remember, David came, uh, he was kind of in a, in a lull in his, in his empire. He wasn't at war. He was at peace. And he's sitting in his, in his palace. And he's like, look at this awesome place I live in. He pondered. He thought, well, I should build a house for God. God's living in a tent, right? They, the Israelites would set up a tent because God would tabernacle among them, right? The tent. He's like, I got to build a new temple. I got to build a, a, a permanent temple for God. Why should I live in luxury? And the ark of God is, is in a tent, right? This is what David proposes. And then this is when God responds back to him, okay? So in 1 Chronicles 17, beginning in verse 11, it says this. When your time comes to be with your fathers, this is God through the prophet speaking to David, I will raise up after you your descendant, who is one of your own sons, and I will establish his kingdom. So looking favorable for for David. He said, he is the one who will build a house for me, and I will establish his throne forever. Some, Some analogy there, an allusion to to Solomon, but certainly Jesus Christ is, is seen as we continue to read. Uh, really important to understand, God kind of is rebuking David. And I think God rebukes us often as well, right? But God's rebuking David saying, listen, it's not about what you can do for me. I'm the God of the universe. I spoke it into existence. There's not much that you can do to, to one-up that, right? He says, I will raise you up, a descendant. Uh, I will establish his kingdom forever. Uh, he's the one that I, that I will establish his throne forever. Verse 13 says, I will be his father, and he will be my son. I will not remove my faithful love from him as I removed it from the one who was before you. And this is verse 14. I will appoint him over my house and my kingdom forever. And his throne will be established forever. This is the promise we see in in the Old Testament. This is the the Davidic covenant coming to life, saying, wow, look at this. This is it. God's going to do something. Now, we can always think that this is going to be something, oh, my son, my, my legacy, something's going to be good here. I'm gonna, my, ki- my kids are going to do well. But he's talking about the throne from which someone will rule, not just for a generation, but someone will rule forever. There's a promise that out of the line of David will come one that will be, will be God's own that will rule and reign forever. So that's the promise we see. But there's a problem, and, and, and it's a problem that has crept in, and it really has come to light for me in these last couple of years as I've studied and I've, I've talked to different professors and people. It's really kind of fun to, to see. I want you to go back to Matthew chapter 1. I want to look, look at verse 10 and 11 together. We're going we're gonna to look at a couple of these names because one of these names stands out, and if you, if you really want to do your homework, you're going to be like, wait a minute, wait, wait, pause. Jesus, if he's the son of Joseph, he can't be, can't be the king. And here's why. Matthew chapter 1, verse 10, it, it starts here. It says, Hezekiah fathered Manasseh, Manasseh fathered Ammon, 
Amon fathered Josiah, and verse 11, Josiah fathered Jeconiah and his brothers at the time of the exile to Babylon. This name there, Jeconiah, we have have to kind of study this and see what happened with this guy. He's also, so it's Jeconiah, also referred to as Coniah, okay, and so I want you to turn with me to the book of Jeremiah. A lot of us here, aren't there? Coniah, Jeremiah, what's his name? Jeconiah. So turn to Jeremiah with me, please. Jeremiah. The Old Testament, after Psalms and Proverbs, we have the, some of the major prophets, Isaiah, then Jeremiah. And we're going to look at verse, or chapter 22. We're going to look at verses 24 through 30. And what we're going to find as we, as we finish this, as we look at this passage, we're going to find a problem with the Matthew passage and the, and the line of Christ. Here's what we see, verse 24. This is, this is a prophecy against Jeconiah, Coniah. It says, As I live, this is the Lord's declaration. Through you, Coniah, son of Je- uh, Jehoiakim, the, the king of Judah, were a signet ring on my right hand I would tear you from. In fact, I will hand you over to those you dread, who intend to take your life to Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, and to the Chaldeans. I will hurl you and the mother who gave, uh, who gave birth to you into another land where neither of you were born, and there you will both die. They will never return to the land uh, that they long to return to. So it's kind of a messed up situation, right? They, they have been terribly awful. God's like, I'm fed up. I'm done. I'm judging you. This, there's judgment being pronounced right now. You're going to be out of here. You're done. So you talk about this list in Matthew of these people. It's not just, oh, these are, must be saints. They aren't just saints in there. They're a bunch of sinners, too. It says uh, in verse 28, in this, ma- in this man, Coniah, or, or sorry, is this man, Coniah, despised, shattered, uh, shattered pot with no, uh, that no one wants? Why are he and his descendants hurled out and cast into a land that they have not known? Earth, 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 hear the word of the Lord. Look at verse 30. This is what the Lord says. Record this man as what? Childless. A man who will not be successful in his lifetime. Look at this. None of his descendants will succeed in sitting on the throne of who? David. Or ruling again in Judah. This is what's referred to as the curse of Jeconiah. That there is a curse been put on that. That any of the descendants that are of this line, and Jeconiah is of the line of David, any one of his descendants now, they cannot sit and rule on the throne of David. Now we're having a problem here, aren't we? Because in Matthew, who's in that family tree? Jeconiah is in that tree. There's something wrong there. There's something going on. Like, what, how do we overcome this? If, God, if there are glimmers of grace and God's, God's desire is to redeem and to use, use even fouled people to redeem us, how is this overcome? Well, let's turn to the book of Luke. Okay? Turn to the book of Luke with me, please. Luke chapter 3. <clears throat> Luke chapter 3 records another lineage of Christ. That a bunch of names that you can go home and read with your family and honor them as they, they're there on the page. We're going to look at a couple of them today. And, and I want to show you some differences between this lineage and the lineage in Matthew. And, and we're going to offer some pretty solid grounds for, for, for an answer to how God can overcome this curse. And listen, isn't God in the business of o- overcoming the curse? That's what he does best, right? God overcomes the curse. The grace overcomes the curse. Let's look at verse 23. 
chapter 3, verse 23. As he began his ministry, Jesus was about 30 years old and was thought to be the son of Joseph, son of Heli, or Eli, the son of, and he goes on and on, right? So let's stop there for a minute. There, there's a little bit of a discrepancy here, and, and there needs to be some, some really stu- good study and good look, look at the structure of this passage and, and what is being used and what is being said. It says, when Luke writes, first of all, Luke is not writing the Jews, he's writing the Greeks, right? And he's given, he's given here's the blood line of Jesus. He wants them to know they, he has a right, he's born of this line, he's, he's blood. It's not just a legal right even, it's, it's an actual physical right to this. So as he begins his ministry, Jesus was thought to be about, thir- or was about 30 years old and was thought to be the son of Joseph. The way this is set up, every name in this list, there's a definitive article in front of it. Like when it says, this is the son of so-and-so. What it's meaning is, it's definitive that this is a blood relative of this person. Every one of the names in this list has that except one. Joseph. And what it does in the structure of this is it, it does this. It's, a, it's like a, it's a parenthetical reference is what it could, could look at. Luke was trying to say, like, listen, you think, he's the, he, you think he's in the line of Joseph. He said when Jesus started his ministry, he was about 30 years old. And, and so here, here's what it is. We're going to definitive Jesus. I'm going I'm to do a little play here. When Jesus started his ministry, he was about 30 years old. And he was thought to be the son of Joseph. And that he was the son of Eli and the son of... So when I come back over here, what I'm, what I'm attaching the son of Eli to is not Joseph. I'm attaching it to who? Jesus. Remember, it can skip some generations. Uh, this, this name, Eli, likely was either, and this is more unlikely, a, a half-brother of, of Joseph's father, who's Jacob, we saw in Matthew. Maybe a half, but it's probably unlikely. It's more likely that, that he was the grandfather to Jesus but not Jacob, so it's not Joseph's dad, it's probably whose dad? Mary's dad. So Eli, so Jesus is the son of Eli, right? Jesus, remember who's supposed to be Joseph's son? He's the son or grandson of Eli, the son of so-and-so, the son of, and it goes all the way down this list. As you look at this list, go down to verse uh, 30 with me, 31. So he starts talking about this list, and he gets to David, because David, that's a, that's a familiar name, right? King David, we saw that in Matthew 1. And who do we say was the son of King David from Matthew 1? Solomon. Solomon, right, was the son of King David. Let's look at who it says it is here. Son of Nathan, son of David. Interesting, huh? At that point in, the, in these two lineages is where they get different. Before that, or, or I guess if you'd say after that in Luke, right, all the verses underneath this from 32 on are all the same. It's all, all very, very much identical to the, the passage in Matthew. The lineage from, and this one goes to Adam. So from Adam to Abraham, and from Abraham all the way to King David is the same. So we both, now we have not only a line all the way back to Adam, and, and, and as, as he's talking to a Greek, he goes back to Adam because the Jews wanted to know what was the Davidic covenant, what was the Abrahamic covenant. Oh yeah, that's, that's where we get the line in G, of Jesus. When you're talking to the Greeks, they, they, they're, they're talking about the father of all creation, right? The, or going back to the very beginning, the first person created was Adam. Oh, Oh, we're all, descend- we're all descendants. So yeah, Jesus descended from there, and here's how he did, and here's why his blood, blood right is also to the kingship. So I, I want to show a little bit of an illustration about this, about how, how this was overcome, because the son of David was Nathan in one, and son of David was Solomon in the other. One of those lines had Jeconiah, and one of those lines did not. All right, so now I need some volunteers. You ready? Volunteers. Kieran, come on up here. Volunteers, volunteers. Come on up, Kalia. Mike Og, come on up. Thanks, buddy, for volunteering. 
Uh, ben Baber, come on up. That's good, good, good. Come on up. Uh, Hoyt, you want to volunteer? Come on up. I need Kim. Kim, can you volunteer, please? I need a Mary Baby Jesus thing going on. And Kim is pregnant, so we'll just bring her on up because we love her. Okay, so let's see. Uh, let Mike, you're going to stand up behind the pulpit up there on, oh, the, on the line. Yeah. Here we go. Mike is going to be King David. Okay, Mike is King David. Go back up a little bit. You take, you take your, your thing with you. Go back up a little bit. Yeah, there you go. Your throne, I guess we'll call it. So, Ben, come on up here. You are going to be right here. You're his son, and we're going we're gonna to call you Solomon. You're, you're King Solomon, okay? Um, Hoyt, you have the task of standing on this step, and you're, you're Jeconiah. I'm sorry. It doesn't match you very well at all. Okay, on this side, we're going to have another son, so you're going to be a son today, Kalia. Okay. Right over here by Mike. You're going to be Nathan, okay? You're Nathan. Thank you very much. And then underneath Nathan on this family, we have Eli, Right, and then so right here, and then I need let's see two more two more volunteers. Any takers here? Christopher, come on up. No, Nicholas, you're Nicholas. Come on up. (laughs) Nicholas, come on up, and we're gonna go with. Oh, raise your hand, Aiden. Come on up. Yeah. So come on, come on over here. (laughs) Nicholas is gonna be over here. He's gonna be uh, the the far-reaching son of Jeconiah is now Joseph. Okay, and then on this side over here we have. Mary, thank you very much. You're going to be Mary right here. And then over here, we're going to have, well, you're going to be Mary. You're going to be baby Jesus. There you go. <laughs> you're Mary. So we have Mary right here. Okay, with child. So let's, I want, I want to look at this here. And you're right in the middle because you're kind of, which way do you go? I don't know. Like, which, which line am I up? You're, you're both, both sides. What I want to show you here is how Jesus, or how God's grace navigates to overcome the curse. All right? So we have King David up here. King David. He's great. He's awesome, right? He had some flaws, too. We'll see that in a few minutes. He had a couple of sons. He had more than a couple of sons. But we talk about Nathan in Scripture. We see these in the lineage. We see the line over here of Nathan and the line over here of Solomon. Out of the line of Solomon, we had some pretty troubled times. And we got down here to Jeconiah, and God had had it. We just read that passage, right? God's like, I'm done with you. No one from your bloodline will ever reign again. Now, it makes you think, what did Joseph think about that? Good old Joseph, right, taking Mary, saying, I'm still going to stay with her. God spoke to me. I'm going to be faithful. I'm, I'm a lo- I love God. A, God. a guy who's faithful, he knows. He knows what his great, 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 great did. He knows, right? He knows that the, the curse is there, too. There's no one in his line. No, he, he and no one else will ever sit on that throne. But he's the, he's the dad of baby Jesus, right? Or so it was thought that he was the dad, right? Because there's mom, there's dad. You usually don't have the Holy Spirit, you know, God being your dad, right? On this side, though, you have Nathan. And you have a pretty, pretty good line on this side. Nathan, no, no Jeconiah curse. And you have Nathan, and then eventually you have Eli. And Eli, who is the father, what we're speculating, right, and pretty wise to, to be able to do that, of Mary, who actually birthed by blood who? Jesus Christ. So on this side, because Joseph is actually the stepdad of, of Jesus, right? He is the dad. He now, Jesus, he, so I'm, you're he, has the legal right to the line and to the throne. Okay? But the curse is not here because the blood right comes from the lineage in Luke chapter 3 where we see the blood right to the throne comes from mom. So, this is, this is the point of the illustration. God is so, so amazing 
at, by His grace, overcoming the curse. Amen? So there's no, there's no curse now on Jesus. Jesus actually has the legitimate claim to the throne because He's both blood and legal. He has both rights because of both lineages we see in Scripture. All right? Good job. Give me a hand. Thanks, you guys. You can have a seat. <clears throat> so God is, God is very, very good at overcoming the curse. Grace overcomes. That's what grace does. Grace overcomes the curse. And I, I want to look, just go back to Genesis. You think about this in Genesis. You have in Genesis 3 where God had created Adam and Eve and they were in the Garden of Eden. He'd given them everything they need. They were able to walk with God. He said, I'll give you one rule. Just don't eat of that tree. Don't eat of that tree. Don't do it. Everything else you want, you have. But in Genesis 3, what we see is the serpent tempts Eve, and both Eve and Adam fall into sin and temptation. And God comes and says, what did you do? He, he's, he, and it doesn't shock him, right? Because he knows this is going to happen. But he says, because of this, everything's going to be cursed now. Because of this, I have to banish you from the garden. Because of this, you're going to die, and, and it's going to be, you're going to have pain in childbearing. You're going to have to work the soil. This is, this is not all, all fun anymore. Now this curse is now upon you. This curse is also death. And I want to go to Romans. If you turn with me to the book of Romans chapter 5, I want us to see not only, you know, does God overcome the curse of Jeconiah. He can do that by his grace, by his own redemption. The biggest curse that he overcomes for us was the curse of death and sin. We're going to be in Romans chapter 5 beginning at verse 18. So then, as through one trespass, there is condemnation for everyone. So what does it say? As through one trespass, because of that one sin, there is now a curse on everyone. Everyone, everyone is guilty. So also through one righteous act, there is justification leading to life for everyone. So one is a curse that we see in other scripture leads to death. And one is a righteous act that is justification leading to life for everyone. In verse 19, for just as through one man's disobedience the many were made sinners, so also through one man's obedience will many be made righteous. You see, God great through his grace at overcoming the curse. Verse 20, the law came along to multiply the trespass. Shows us exactly how bad we are, right? We can't live up to it. But where sin multiplied, what happened? Grace multiplied even more. So that, just as sin reigned in death, just as the curse reigned and the curse was rampant, so also grace will reign through righteousness, resulting in eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen? See, there, there is this curse, and there's a sin in the world, and we all have all sinned and fallen short of God's glory. And the Bible says the wages of sin is death. But Jesus came, the righteous one came, because he had to die for us. He, he didn't die because he was bad. He died because we were. And he went to the cross to take the curse, the curse that I owed him, the curse that, that should have affected me for eternity. He took the curse, he put it on his shoulders, and he, he let him nail him to the cross. And he bled and he died and he rose from death, saying, I am God and I have victory over this curse. And if you want to be made righteous, you can be found in me. Not having a righteousness, of your own, but one that is through faith in Christ. The righteousness that we have for life is from faith in Christ. If that's what we're looking for, that's, that's how grace overcomes 
the curse. And it's amazing for me to look at this lineage and say, wow, this is a, a huge list of, of some good people and some horrible people. But God came to them anyway and decided that he would still be born through them so that he could redeem us and he could overcome the curse. He overcame a curse that looked like you can't be the king because you're the son of Joseph, or so, so we think. God overcame that. Isn't God awesome? And then he overcame the curse of death and sin when he went to the cross. The people he came to rescue, the people he came to redeem, the people he came through, the lineage, his family, they're the ones at that time that put him there. But he still came for them that they could have life. That's amazing, amazing grace. And, and, and as we, we're going to continue today, but as we look at the book of Ruth in a few weeks, what I want us to see is that grace of God and that redemption of God at every step of the way. You know, we're, we're kind of hopscotching around this list a little bit, and we'll see some other people in it, but we're not going to cover it all. But God's grace and God's redemption is so active in you and me in our lives every single day. His story is constantly trying to invade and intersect with our story so it becomes something about His glory so that He can overcome sin and death in us and that His glory would be seen and we would be the redeemed, His redeemed. God is good all the time. Good job. Number two, we talk about a glimpse of grace. Grace includes outcasts. It invites in outcasts. I mean, you think about Jesus' life. It, it, that's what he spent the most time with, right? That's who he spent the most time with. And he spent a lot of time with people who, who thought they were righteous, right? But he, he was there. I came to seek and save the lost. A, a doctor helps those who are sick. That Jesus came for the outcast. And, and this, this list, I want to look at back, Matthew 1. Let's go back there together. Let's look at this list because there are five women in this list. And normally women weren't put in genealogies just because in that day they weren't revered as, you know, like really a person that you put in the, in the, on the resume. But Matthew included them, and I think it's because it's a testimony of who God is. God shows that his grace is big. His grace is big, right? So there are five women here that, that are referred to or are considered outcasts. Now, there are probably more people here than that that are outcasts. But I want us to look at these women who, who and, and here's what I want us to highlight. I don't want you to think I'm saying this. You know what? It's okay to be an outcast. It's okay to be a rebel. It's okay to go sin, do whatever you want. Be, be who you want to be. God will sort it out in the end. It's true God will sort it out in the end, right? But I don't know if I want to be sorted that way. I, I would rather come to faith in Christ through an abandoning of myself, abandoning of my sin, saying I don't have anything without him, and he's going to be my treasure, not this sin. See, God, God's going to redeem. In order for him to redeem, we've got to let him do it. We've got to let it go and let him do it. He'll make, he'll make a mess into something amazing for his glory, but, but you and I have to come to him in faith. We have to turn from ourselves and our own sin and say, I don't, I don't want that anymore. I'm not going to bring this along like, like I, you owe it to me. Let me keep this, God. So that, does God invite outcasts and include outcasts? Absolutely, but he doesn't leave them that way. He redeems them for his glory. So verses 2 through 6, we're going to see four of the five women here. Abraham fathered Isaac, Isaac fathered Jacob, Jacob fathered Judah and his brothers. Judah fathered Perez and Zerah by Tamar. Okay, so there's the first one. Tamar is a, is a gal who was owed something by Judah, and, and he, he wasn't faithful, and he wasn't, he wasn't about to let her have it, but, but she wanted this, this child. So she, she manipulated, tricked, blackmailed, whatever you want to call it, and she went in and she's like, you're going you're gonna to make sure I have a kid. And it's like, oh, what? That, I don't want to be a part of this. I don't want to know what's going on. This is, that's what's happening. This is who Tamar is. 
It didn't come about with, a, with this like great faithful command of God. It was a, a little shady, shady thing going on. Okay, you can read that more with your own family, your story. But there, there's Tamar. So she's, she's the first outcast. It's like, this is a little bit shady, your behavior. But this shady person's behavior, and even with Judah, the behavior there, ultimately ended up with, with the line of who? Christ, with the line of Jesus Christ. Now, so again, I'm going back. It's, it's not okay that we just are, are shady and go out and have shady behavior wherever we want because they did it. What it's saying is that God will even work through those scars and those hiccups and those baggages, the things that, we, the things that we're bad at. He'll be, he'll be good at redeeming if we let him do that. And some of, some of these people in this list never really understood the full blessing of God and are, probably aren't even in heaven because they never, never understood the redemption offered there. But God still used their story for his glory. And God wants to do that with us, but he wants to redeem us as well. So we have Tamar there, and we go on. Uh, Perez fathered Hezron. Hezron fathered uh, Aram. Aram fathered Aminadad. Aminadad fathered Nashon. Nashon fathered Salmon. Salmon fathered Boaz. Boaz is a big character, by the way, in Ruth. Right? He's, he's this amazing man in Ruth, this kinsman redeemer we're going to learn all about. So he, but he, he for, this, for being a guy that he is, who did he come from? Fathered, Salmon fathered Boaz by who? Rahab. Anyone remember Rahab from Scripture, right? She was the prostitute that lived in Jericho, right? That was her job, and that's what she did. So you think about shady characters who didn't really want to honor God. They just wanted whatever they wanted for themselves. That's who we're talking about here. So as we go, as we go forward, we see um, in Jericho, the, the spies come into Jericho to check out the place and say, can we attack, can we defeat? And they come in, and, and she's the one who says, you know what? You can stay at my house. I'll, I'll guard you. I'll protect you. I'll hide you. There, something in her heart got stirred, and, and she's like, you know what? I'm done. Done with this. I, I, something big is coming here, and I want to I be part of this. I'm going I'm to be faithful right now in this moment. And, and she was faithful. And God used that faithfulness, and she, she was able to give birth to who? To Boaz, right? Boaz, who we find in the book of Ruth. And then it says, Boaz fathered Obed by Ruth. So Obed was born, and Obed was the father of Jesse, and Jesse fathered David. It's a great-grandfather thing going on right now. So you have Ruth. Well, who is Ruth? Another woman included in this, another outcast woman. She wasn't this faithful church going, like, all good, everything's good. She was the gal that, that the family, Elimelech and his family, Naomi and his, her, their sons, they moved from Bethlehem in a time of famine, probably a time of judgment. They moved from Bethlehem, which means the house of bread, and they moved away, and they went to Moab. They went to this, this crazy place that had no reverence for the God of the universe, had, had, had all kinds of reverence for their own selves, their own idolatry, false gods all over the place. They were idol worshipers. They were just, they were crazy, off the hook, idol worshipers. They were sinful, sinful people. So Elimelech, listen guys, it's not a, probably a good thing to say, let's move my family from a place of faith, a place of, of growth, a pl maybe it's hardship, yeah, let's move it to a place of wicked, wicked idolatry in the middle of it. We'll just be in the epicenter of it. And we'll see what happens as we go into Ruth. Well, the boys marry women, and the boys die, Elimelech dies, and, and Naomi eventually moves back. She says, I'm, I'm going back to Bethlehem. This is not for me anymore. She goes back to Bethlehem, and, and, and Ruth says, hey, I, I'll go with you. I'm, I'm going to go with you. I will leave. Now listen, Ruth likely had family there, had ties there. She had her, her way of life. She'd grown up knowing. It's like if you come from your hometown, you know the streets, you know the people, you know the routine. It's familiar. And there's, there's, it's just what I know, and that's what you do. Right? And then especially if you have a way of belief in your, in your heart, and you've grown up to a certain place, you're an adult. I believe something for so long. This is what's true. Now she's saying, I'm done with that. 
God, again, the God of the universe stirs in her heart something different, and she has this moment of faith where she says, you know what, I'm, I'm coming with you, Naomi. I'm going to abandon my old life, my own way of life, my, own, my other gods, and now I, your God's going to be my God. Your people are going to be my people. And there's this huge, amazing act of faith there and, and faithfulness and obedience, and she takes this step of faith, and she goes with Naomi back to Bethlehem, not knowing what's going to happen. This place had a famine. They heard things that kind of clear, cleared up a little bit. They go back, and, and who knows what's going to happen now. There's a lot of loss they've suffered in this family, but eventually there's this amazing story we're going to take part of in the next few months, and, and we see that, that this love story unfolds between Ruth, this Moabitess, this, this idol worshiper, this gal who's probably an outcast in Bethlehem because she's kind of a foreigner, and wait, you come from where? You're, you're from the wrong side of the tracks, right? If we, if we judge like that, it'd be like the Dunsmere Mount Shasta thing, I guess. I don't know. It's not, probably not. Weed, Mount Shasta, McLeod, I don't know, you know. I, but, but that's what they were. They were th- she was from the other side of the tracks. And, and, and this amazing story of God's redemption unfolds in her life and in Boaz's life and in Naomi's life. And this leads to the birth of Obed, Obed who fathered Jesse, Jesse fathered King David. Then we go, so we see Ruth's kind of messed up. And then we see David fa- fathered uh, Solomon, and Nathan, by the way, but Solomon by who? Uriah's wife, whose name is Bathsheba. So, and, and, and the story, you can speculate all you want. Maybe she was this, this temptress on top of the roof, bathing, like, like, why are you doing this? I mean, obviously, the people can see you. Don't you want to, don't you know what a curtain is? Kind of, you know, like, maybe she, maybe she was innocent, maybe she wasn't, it doesn't matter. Whatever happened, King David and, and her, they got together. They were, they were in an adulterous relationship, and then they had kids together. And, and that led for King David in his heart. He, he, he had, his, had her husband killed. This is a messy, scandalous story, isn't it? This is, but this is, Bathsheba's mentioned here, the, the, Uriah's wife. And, and God used that for some form of redemption because who was born of that? Solomon and Nathan. Where are my Solomons and Nathans, right? They're, I think you were Nathan. Who was Solomon again? Who was Solomon? Ben was Solomon, right? And out of those men... We have this amazing grace that, that overcomes the curse. Out of this crazy, scandalous love affair, God's grace continues to redeem. Amen? And then we go to the final woman mentioned in verse 16. And Jacob fathered Joseph, husband of who? Mary, who gave birth to Jesus, who is called the Christ. Now listen, Mary, we, we think Mary is, is awesome. And, and I mean, there's religions in the world who have elevated Mary to like divine and that's wrong that's not okay Mary was a faithful woman she found favor with God she trusted God she obeyed God but Mary listen the scandal with Mary is that she was like a junior high girl who got pregnant before she was married and her town that's I mean and and with her faith and with the people around her that's not something you ought to be doing it's not something you're going to be found favorable for doing and, and try to explain that to your mom, or, your, or maybe your mom accepted it, right? M- but your neighbor? Well, really, I, an angel came and told me that I was going to get pregnant by the Holy Spirit, and it, no, it wasn't Joseph. I, no, I, I promise I've never done that. Yeah, okay. You know, it, there's a scandal happening, and, and the ridicule she faced there was probably extreme. And then the ridicule she faced as she went to Bethlehem. Her and, her and Joseph went to Bethlehem to be counted. They went there because that was their hometown. Like it was, That's where they're from. There likely were relatives there. They probably were like, wait a minute, timing doesn't quite right, it doesn't add up. When did you get, when, uh, there's some ridicule there. Now, 
not, not a lot. Jesus is born, and they get to have their own life, and they go to Nazareth, and they grow up, and it, it, things are pretty good. But there's, there's always that, that scandalous take that can, can be had on that. But either way, she was faithful, and God said, you know, I'm, I'm, I can redeem sin, and I can redeem faith. It doesn't matter what it looks like. I can redeem it. I can use it. My, my grace is enough for that, and my grace includes outcasts. And it, it's so, so important for you and I to think through that today as, as our own lives. We, we have been and are maybe outcasts, ridiculed, looked down upon. God is like, I have, I have a story and I want it to intersect with your story for my glory. I want to do something amazing that can redeem and make you whole and, and, and show off Jesus to the whole world. Listen, God loves sinners, but he doesn't, he loves you just the way you are, right? But he doesn't want to leave you that way. He wants you to be more and more like Jesus. That's, that's what God does. So God includes outcasts so they can become more and more like Jesus. They can be justified by Jesus. I want to read a passage out of Luke 15, sorry, Luke 18. Jesus told this parable. He said he told this parable to some who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and they looked down on everyone else. They trusted in themselves and they looked down on everyone else. Like, I'm, I'm good, I'm righteous, I got this taken care of. I'm looking down. So he's telling this story to those people who think they're full of it, or they are full of it. Right? And, and he's like, let me, let me give you a picture of what this looks like. And I said this a, a few sermons ago. I said, when Jesus came, when he came to earth, he didn't come to earth and say, listen, I'm, I'm here to save you and you and you because you really need it. You guys are all good, though. You're, you're righteous. You've done a good job. Way to go. I'm going to save them, though, because they really need it. That is not what Jesus did. And, and I mentioned in, this, in the sermon series on Zechariah's song that when, when Jesus came as an icky, gooey, slippery little baby, right out of the womb, wrapped in cloths, placed in a feeding trough, when Jesus came like that, <clears throat> that helpless little child was the biggest rebuke to you and I. What it said is this, this helpless, icky, sticky, gooey little child is stronger than all of us, all of humanity, and that he has come to say, you have got nothing. And me in this little infant state, I've got everything. And I have been, I've been born the one that will be king. I've been the one, born one that will save you from your sins. It wasn't, he didn't come saying, well, yeah, you and you and you, come with me. We need to talk. Everyone else, you're good. He said, everyone, you pale in comparison to me as a little baby. And I've come to set you free. I've come to forgive you. I've come to, to use my grace to overcome the curse that's on us all. It's not picking and choosing who's good and bad. We're all in the same boat. And that rebuke was huge. So, so when Jesus is telling this parable, he's talking, he's talking to people who think they're self-righteous. Who, who think they're the ones that Jesus would say, oh, no, you're good, good job. Attaboy, give you a pat on the back. Go, go about your business. People thought that. They didn't need Jesus. They didn't need redemption. They didn't need anything because they had it all. They were good enough on their own. And that is a huge, huge lie. So Jesus calls them out on it. He says this. So he told this parable to some who had trusted in themselves that they were righteous, and they looked down on everyone else. Two men went up to the temple to pray. One, a Pharisee. Okay, Pharisees are listening, and boy, their blood's getting boiling now. Like, wait a minute, I'm righteous. Talk about the sinners. One, a Pharisee, and the other, a tax collector. Uh-oh, right? Tax collector is the outcast. You didn't want to be a tax collector. I mean, you did because it was really lucrative because you could cheat people. But as far as relationships went, you didn't have any. You were an outcast. It was like you, you might as well have had leprosy. You had all the money in the world, could buy whatever you want, had a nice mansion, could buy slaves, but you had no friends. 
you were an outcast. So you have a Pharisee who was up, thinks he's all that, and a tax collector who goes up and says, he knows, he knows he's not. The Pharisee was standing and praying like this about himself. He's, like, he's basically praying, I'm going to pray to myself. I'm going to show you how good I am. God, I thank you that I'm not like other people. It's a really great way to start a prayer. Greedy, unrighteous, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week. I give a tenth of everything I get. Well, aren't you just great? That's the attitude they had. Jesus, Jesus is calling these people out, these people who are righteous, quote-unquote righteous. He's calling them out. But the tax collector, standing far off, right? He couldn't even get up close. Standing far off, would not even raise his eyes to heaven, and he kept striking his chest, saying, here's what he said, outcast, if you're an outcast, here's what this outcast said. Here's, here's where outcasts get their hope. Here's where outcasts find their joy. This is what he said. God, have mercy on me, a sinner. You see, when, when outcasts, when sinners really understand the depth of their sin, and they go before God and say, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. And then Jesus says, I tell you, this one, this one went down to his house justified rather than the other one. You want to see God inviting and including outcasts? This is how he does it. He calls the outcast in and says, you can have faith, but I want you to know how deeply sinful you are, how deeply cast out you are. And if you and I would realize that God, we, we need God to have mercy on us, a sinner, God would do an amazing, amazing work, and we could leave justified. He goes on and says, because everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, but the one who humbles himself will be exalted. Grace includes outcasts. The last part of this is this, number three. Grace calls out to everyone or to every name. Grace calls out to every name. And I put every name in there because I feel it's so important. Going back to Matthew 1, every name is listed there. I mean, the, the, one, the good, the bad, and the ugly, the names are there. The names are there. And, and God's grace is that big. 2 Peter 3, 9 says this, The Lord does not delay His promise, as some understand delay, but He is patient with you, not wanting any to perish, but all to come to repentance. God's desire is for each one of us, and He knows our names. Each one of us. The call is to each one of us to come to repentance. That's His desire. The problem is stubbornness and hard hearts. I'm going to read one more parable from Luke 15. That, that's, that's, again, uh, talking about these people who are self-righteous. They're, they're all a name. They're all a name. And God knows them, but he wants them as the sheep to hear his name, his, hear his voice and respond to him. Here, here's what it says in Luke 15, 3. He told them this parable. That's this, this group of Pharisees and disciples and sinners. What man among you who has a hundred sheep and loses one of them does not leave the 99 in the open field? Right? They're, they're, you lost a sheep. And you go after it until he finds it. When he has found it, he joyfully puts it on his shoulders. And coming home, he calls his friends and neighbors together. He says, come on over, come together. Saying to them, rejoice with me, because I have found my lost sheep. Jesus says, I tell you in the same way, there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner, one name who he's called to come, who repents, than over the 99 righteous people who don't need to repent. Now, that was sarcasm at the end for Jesus. These, these people did need to repent. And he was calling them to repentance. God is not willing that you perish, but wants all to come to repentance. 
And sometimes I'm like the 99. I'm good. Before I met Jesus, I was like the 99. I'm good. I got it on my own. I don't need that. Yeah, they, they do. Have you talked to so-and-so down the street? Yeah. Jesus said, no, I, I call you all to repentance. The ones who know they're lost, the ones who turn to me for mercy and forgiveness, they're the ones that will receive that forgiveness. The Son of Man has come to seek and save the found, the lost, the lost. God calls out to every, every name. Those mentioned in this text are heroes, they're disgraces, but, and ultimately, listen, ultimately Israel, this, this lineage of, of David, of Abraham, of Jesus, going down all through Israel, even, even Scripture says that they, they didn't receive him in John 1. Like to, he came to his own and they didn't receive him. They despised and re, he was despised and rejected in Isaiah 53. We see that, that about Jesus Christ. The, the, again, the people that he came to redeem. The people that he was born through are the ones in self-righteousness who put, that, put him on the cross. But he still chose to come to them and to be born through them so that redemption could be offered to them and to us. Isn't God awesome? God's grace is amazing. And he offers that redemption to all of us. That grace to all of us. And so my encouragement as we, as we close is this. Whatever place you are in, whatever heart issue is going on, whatever ache, whatever, whatever scar, whatever sin you're involved in, run to Jesus. He has come in grace to you so he could redeem the mess that we are. And then what he wants from us, although he came to them and, and, and was born through them, for us on this side of the cross, he's come to us to redeem us so he could now live through us. And that the world would know Jesus because of you and I. That we would be the salt and light of the earth. Amen? Let's stand and pray together.